Arthur. Christy. Hello. Oh my God, you're so clear. Is it working? I think it's working. I've got the interwebs. I like the interwebs. It is working. We are at 21, 22, 23 seconds. Okay. Hello. Well, hello. <laughs> How are you? I am doing good. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you. So tonight I want to talk about your photography and about some of the things that you've been doing. All right. Let's, Let's talk. talk. So I was just listening to a podcast called The C Word, and they're talking about this woman who basically never grew up, but she was a photographer, and she photographed a doll and like a teddy bear. It was very controversial in the 50s. Wait, so she photographed a doll and a teddy, and a teddy bear, bear. And that was it. That was her, that was her work. And what well, the teddy bear was spanking the doll. Spanking, spanking the doll in the 50s, so it's very controversial. Oh, so it wasn't just a teddy bear and a doll hanging out. They were actively engaged. Actively, yeah. And so what, what they were saying <laughs> was, was that she lived her life through this doll. Oh, okay. Okay. Very subversive and interesting in the, in 50s. the 50s. And her name was, hold on, I'm looking now to make sure that I get this right. Her name was Dar... Right, like dare right, but D A R E right, W R I G H T, and the name. The name of the book is "The Lonely Doll." I've heard about this. I've never heard about it. You know what? You are triggering something. I feel like somebody brought this book up when I was in photo school in college. I've heard about this. And I don't remember seeing it. My memory, I have to say, is failing. But I remember the lonely doll. It is. I can't believe you're bringing it so up. weird. I remember the lonely doll. So okay. So my question is: Okay, so you deal with a lot of coming of age, mm-hmm. a lot of like, I guess is the way I would describe it. So I guess my question to you is: Is do we recreate our life in photography? Oh, I don't know. I think that's really interesting. Um, maybe a little bit. I don't know if you can really recreate your life in any way. But... I mean, not recreate our life, but is that how we, is that what comes out in our art? I mean, I think that photography can be so many ways of seeing things, but I suppose, I mean, if you're asking me directly about my, my Yeah, well, in your view on the whole no, thing, I, too, I, yeah, of course. Well, I don't spank, you know, teddy bears or anything. <laughs> Well, if you do, Um, (laughs) I embrace it. But you know, know, each to their own. Um, I, but you know, I I do really love coming of age stories, and I think because I did love coming of age, Um, and you know, maybe that is a a driving point in my work. It's funny; I don't think of it necessarily as recreating. And I think I've gotten to a place where I've been working for so long that I don't even necessarily think that I'm trying to invoke a memory, but I think it's just kind of second nature. You know, it's such a, I I don't feel like I need to live in the past. I don't miss coming of age. I love exactly where I am, but, um, you know, but for me, it was such a beautiful visual time for everything I could see that 
I do think it informs my work, my coming of age versus coming of age. But then when you look at art, I'm, I, mean, I mean, so many people do coming of age. You know, every movie is coming of age. Every, you know, I, I think we all sort of relate to that innocence before you become an adult, that sweet spot. Yeah. Like your stuff is so, I mean, it's, 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 it's beautiful, but it's like there's an innocent quality to it. And I wonder that as a gay guy, if I would do it, what people would think of it. Like, because I thought about that. It's like, oh, my God, like these children are gorgeous. Uh, and then you get into children. And right. it's, it's interesting because I actually had a friend the other day who's one of my, my best friends here. His daughter, his youngest daughter and my daughter were born a month apart and we live next door to each other and his, you know, I divorced his marriage is intact. So his, you know, his, he, his wife, their entire family are, you know, some of our best friends. And, but I have photographed all of, you know, the kids growing up and, and I, you know, I really enjoy projects that I love passing of time. You know, I, I don't feel like I'm in a rush to, to finish something. And so children aging mm -hmm. is the perfect kind of work for me. Um, you know, I love to see them, see them grow. And so I photographed our girls specifically growing up together. And, you know, the other day he said to me, he said, I have to admit, you know, and, you know, in this, this 15 years of friendship, I didn't really understand your work. He said, I, I, there were so many pictures that I thought were beautiful, but I didn't really understand what it was that you were doing. But now that my daughter's a certain age, I, I do get it. And, and it is funny, you know, with children, there's some taboo around what they just do naturally. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Sally Mann obviously made her most important work around her children. And, you know, there was a lot of controversy and danger and, um, you know, misunderstanding about what she was that, that, you know, what it was that she was trying to do. And, and I think that, you know, as a gay guy, I think that if, I think you also photograph what you see, you know, so as a gay man, if you were around children and you were watching children grow up and it was part of your life, it, it wouldn't mean anything, you know, but if it was something that you were seeking out and trying to make a project of something, it becomes different and not as a gay man, I'm going to, I need to go back on that, but as an, any person. Right. You know, just as any person that says, ooh, I want to go find this and, you know, and make something of it. If it, I, I think it has to kind of come, it has to be what you right. see to not feel strange or taboo, you know? And I mean, even as my child grows older, you know, I have to, I think about, you know, I see her in ways that I love seeing her because it's innocent and pure, but I think, Ah, do I really want to photograph that at this point? What, you know, how would that read or how would that see, you know, but somebody like Sally Mann just kept going, right? You know, she just, you know, did it now that I'm comparing myself to her, but well, that's, that's the I mean, example. Do, I mean, that's what everybody uses. I mean, we photograph children, oh. um, you know, and teenagers, um, you know, it's strange. But, Cause I just watched pretty baby probably like a year ago. And like, mm -hmm. I don't think that movie could be made today. Oh no. Oh my goodness. I mean, the, oh my I mean it's so, I, I was like, oh my God, I cannot believe this. And like the mother, you know. 
I don't know why we're yeah. on this. I just I got got on this for the doll thing, but oh no, no. I mean, it, but it's but it's I mean, it's it's a it's a valid topic, you know, because you know the thing about the work that I make, you know, I make it, I love it, but sometimes I wonder if I put it out in the world, you know, just you know, somebody going to want to hang that on their wall, you know, somebody else's child doing something innocent. I mean, it's a funny, it's a, it's, it's an interesting subject matter. Yeah. One um, thing, one that, thing for sure. I mean, you feel happy when you look at your, your images, there's an energy to it. Well, that's happy. Yeah. Welcome. I hope so. I mean, you know, I feel like I live a happy life. I see happy. I feel happy. You know, so I, I, I like to translate joy. So, hon, tell me something. How did you get started photographing? I got started photography because I wanted to remember what I was seeing while I was coming of age. Um, so, you know, I was a suburban kid in East Cobb County, Atlanta, Georgia. It's pretty suburban, basic as you could possibly be you know, a virtual John Hughes, 1980s film. Um, and it didn't do it for me. You know, where I was, it just, it didn't do it for me. Something was missing. Um, you know, I was popular enough. I was a cheerleader. You know, I had all sorts of opportunities, but it just, something was lacking. And I started to discover music. And then I discovered that music could be found someplace else out of my neighborhood. I started working in the mall. I met our friend Connie. Um, and, you know, we were both kind of exploring punk rock and our new wave or goth or whatever it was, you know, sort of the suburban version of just trying to recreate yourself. beg for people to let us in the club even though we were underage and they would give us all these rules you know you can come in but if we ever find you drunk you can never come back and I would see the most incredible people I'd never seen anything like in my life it was like that I I always think about the scene in Valley Girl you know where she goes into this club for the first time and she just cannot believe some people are so different from her and she's mesmerized and I, I, I asked my mom if she would buy me a camera because I needed to photograph the kids that I was seeing so that I could look at it, you know, from Monday to Friday while I was at my boring suburban high school and remember them, you know, and dream about seeing them the next weekend. And that's how I started. You know, I picked up a camera at 15. I never put it down. That's awesome. People for, and it's like the 90s was so magical. Yeah, I mean, it really was. I mean, you had this, you know, there was so much happening. You had the, you know, the 70s is disco, the 80s is the birth of hip hop. In New York City, it's rough. I mean, people didn't have money. We didn't have any money, Arthur. Nobody had money. When I moved to New York, I lived on 7th Street between Avenue B and C. It was a heroin block. That is where people went to buy their heroin. They lined up. You saw celebrities do that. And you know what? I lived on the safest block because there were guards everywhere because they wanted to protect their business. You know, so as a little 23-year-old from Athens, Georgia, I'm living in the roughest block in the East Village, but the safest block. 
And, you know, you had to scrape together a dollar fifty to go get a falafel or a piece of pizza, you know, and something about that drives creativity. You know, when you buy a beer and it's the one, one, one beer you have for the rest of the night and you're going to sit on the curb with 10 other artists and nurse that beer and talk about the art you want to make. And then you go make it. That's magic. New York, New York was, cause that's the first around the first time when I started going to New York, it was so magical. I'm missing it Are big you? time right now. You know? Oh my gosh. Yes. I'm not used to being away for so long. I mean, even though I don't live there, I'm, I'm there typically, you know, every few months. And um, it's very strange not to be there and to, you know, watch what's happening there from afar. And, you know, I have friends that had the means to leave during the pandemic. And I have friends that don't and that, you know, have to be right there in it. Um, And then, you know, I have these sort of dreamy moments of exactly what I would do, my magazine stand and you know, where I want to get my food and where I want to walk and remember what it was like to be 23, you know? Yeah. I There's nothing it. like going to a magazine stand. I know. <laughs> Do you follow Casa magazines on Instagram? No, but I'll start. What is it? Casa, like okay. how? C-A-S-A. Yeah. It is the best magazine stand. It's in the West Village at um, right where Jane and 8th, 8th Avenue combine at the corner of West Fourth, I think. I think it's West Fourth. Um, it's right it's, down. Is that from, where the split is? Right there, it kind of splits. It's right where the okay. split is. You want to know it's a right story about that? Is. I'm coming yes. out one night, walking from I think 23rd or something in Chelsea, and it's a cold night, and this big uh, Escalade pulls up. This big, huge Ooh. person of color gets out with a fur coat to the ground. And oh, it's Andre Leon Fantastic. Oh, I love him. It was so oh. sweet. I was like, oh, my God, it's my New York moment right here. He might have been going to that magazine stand. Well, yeah, because that's where he pulled at. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They have everything there. And it's stacked and stacked and stacked. And you can go in there, Arthur, and say, do you have, you know, the issue of from Thailand and they'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You would never see it yourself, but they know where everything is. They've been there forever, and they'll pull up the stacks and find it and pull your magazine out. I mean, it just it smells good. It's teeny tiny, and they have everything. They have, um, they have really been doing some sweet things during the pandemic because right up the road from them is this little, um, you know, breakfast diner called La Bonbonniere. And it's been there forever. It is a greasy spoon West Village tradition. And, you know, they're, 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 they've probably been struggling before pandemic, you know, just with the way the food goes and whatnot in New York. And Casa Magazines has done a full campaign to help raise money for La, La Bamaniera. And so they kind of do this tag team thing on Instagram. And it's it's been really sweet. And if you miss New York and you love that side of New York, following both of them will kind of make you happy and sort of satisfy that need. And then of course, you know, make you want to participate like we all do. Yeah. The new way to participate for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, 
So let me ask you this. Let's go back to Interview Magazine. What was the first big shoot that you did where you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe that I'm doing this? <laughs> um, well, the first shoot I did was not even, you know, a big shoot, but they sent me out to photograph a Cartier diamond. I'm not a still life photographer. I am not a still life photographer. <laughs> and I didn't know what I was doing. And I thought, oh, my gosh, they're never going to let me do anything again. And all they wanted to do was, like, cut out a quick snapshot of this diamond and put it on a page. So that was my first official shoot for interview. And then my next one was they, my guys, you know, Todd, Todd and Todd Eberly and Richard Pendicio, they loved my friends. You know, they loved my funny East Village New York-y friends. And they said, let's do a story on your friends. And so I had two girlfriends that had a dress shop in the East Village, and they made everything themselves in the store. And the store was called Three Jills and a Jack. And But it was two girls making clothes. And they were doing all the baby doll dresses. Courtney Love shopped there. You know, all the girls that were into that, you know, baby doll stuff went there. They had AstroTurf on the floor and fake flowers everywhere. It was kind of like this wild sort of psychedelic garden. And, you know, little shorty, you know, baby doll banks going back to baby dolls um, and, you know, pigtails. They wore those little tight tops. And so I photographed the girls and then um, they sent me to shoot this other girl that I'd never met before. And her name was Wendy and her moniker was built by Wendy and she made guitar straps and in the guitar straps, she made these little pouches that were about the size of a photo booth picture. So you could cut out a picture and put it in, in the pocket of your guitar strap. And she and her boyfriend worked in a record store in the West Village called, West Village called Rocks in Your Head. And she was also sewing clothes, but selling them out of the record store. So very, you know, do it yourself and kind of thing, both of these. So that was my first thing. And Richard always did a page called Richard Pendicio's Ones to Watch. And so for a better part of the year, most of my friends were on the Ones to Watch page. Wow. I would have like a friend that was a comedian doing stand-up and Richard would say, let's put him on Ones to Watch. You know, my brother, my baby little brother at 12 years old trying to make a band and, you know, Buckhead, Georgia was on Ones to Watch. Um and then they gave me a fashion shoot where they wanted it to be called the Friendly Fashion Shoot. So we went out to New Jersey to this restaurant called Friendly's and my camera broke. And I, oh it was the first time I was trying to use a professional camera and the gear that I brought stopped working and I, I didn't know what to do. And I call, you know, I had to call, find a payphone and call Richard at his house on the payphone and say, what, I don't know what to do. And he said, go to the drugstore and buy a disposable camera and do what you do. <laughs> and that was my first fashion story. <laughs> he said, you don't oh, need a big fancy camera. He oh. said, he said, I can't even believe that you would take a camera like that. Just oh. go buy a disposable and do what you do. <laughs> I miss interview magazine. It was so long. Me too. Me so too. Good. I really yeah. do. I really, really do. Um, so that was fashion. And then, you know, it grew from there. I, you know, I had, I was lucky, Arthur. I, you know, I really was. I, and am, 
lucky still to this day. You know, I think that I had enough talent, enough street smarts, enough good luck to be right at the right place at the right time. And you have to have a little bit of all of it, you know, for it to work. Um, and I just, I, I lucked out in the nineties in New York, all the things that I, I wouldn't have known in college, those men taught me. And that's how I got started in fashion. Um, that had you know, to- and I was the, ha- the happy photographer, you know, I was the one, and this is the nineties. So this is grunge, you know, so this is, most people were, you know, this was heroin chic era, you know, people were, you know, skinny and gaunt and, you know, sad. And here I come and I want my girls to do cartwheels and jump on beds and handstands and laugh. And that wasn't really happening um, at that time. You know, it had been happening, but it was like taking a different turn. So yeah, New York and Todd and Richard, that's how I started in fashion. Wow. That was a colorful time of interview too. Mm. Like the end of the year. It was end of the era. Yeah, it was great. It was really great. Um, I mean, sometimes I just, especially in COVID lately, I've been going through, you know, my archives and trying to organize things. I think most everybody has. Um, and, you know, when I look back on my work and I kind of look back on my, the, the people that I, I worked with, you know, the people that I came up with in the business and the people that mentored me and the people that I grew up with, you know, there's a big legacy there. And it's, it's only now really coming to me, like what a part of a legacy I, I've been fortunate enough to be in. And so girl, how did you make it back down South? Yeah. So, you know, we moved back to, to, we, you know, Sam and I wanted to have a place, you know, to calm down when Interpol wasn't on tour, when, um, I wasn't working, we were ready to have a baby and start a family. And, um, we both liked Athens and we came back here several times a year, or at least, you know, I did, or he did whenever he could. And, um, we sort of had this idea that, oh, it would be like going upstate New York or to Long Island. We could get a little house here and just go back and forth. And so we did it. And then we didn't really realize how hard it actually was to go back and forth. There were, you know, you have to drive two hours and then get on the flight and then, you know, get into the city. It was an all day thing, but I was really happy about it. I was ready to settle down. Um, And, you know, and then Frankie came and I I don't know, I kind of knew that once we got here that I I wasn't going back for good. We, we, we tried to keep an apartment for a couple of years, but, um, you know, but, but home became here and I liked it because as much as I love living in New York Mm -hmm. and I had an incredible life and experience in, you know, in the years that I was there. But making pictures in actual New York City, I didn't do that very well. Um, I make pictures in places that look like Athens. And that's why they sent me away. You know, that's why they sent me on location is because I, I do my best when I'm in sunny, happy, natural places. And so for me, coming back to Athens was kind of, you know, it's just been a natural background now for the work that I make. So tell me something, Christy, how did you and Randy get started with photographing the Mardi Gras Indians? 
but you know, Randy is the first person that showed me what the Indians were. And, you know, I was like too punk rock to really understand what was going on. And then he turned me on to this record and showed me these pictures. And I just thought, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And they were so mysterious. I mean, you, you, you know, at that time in Cobb County, Georgia, I can have dreamt of seeing something like that, you know, much less going down to New Orleans. And then once I started being old enough to go there, it still wasn't like I was going to be connected to that culture because at the time you had to know somebody that knew somebody that could point you to where they were going to be and when, you know, it, it, it's, it, you know, now it's organized. Um, and so for me, it just was this incredible mystery that I was dying to unravel. Um, and I didn't really think about the people behind it. I just thought about the mystery. Um, and so Arthur, it's only been, you know, almost two years that I was actually able to go to Super Sunday. I, you know, Randy and, and, and Frankie and I saw you right after my first Super Sunday. Um, you know, so I'd seen pictures and followed them. And as a collector of, you know, costumes and beads and sequins and headpieces, it speaks to me visually. So tell me, Christy, how did you and Randy get into the inner circle of the Mardi Gras Indians? We all know how protective they are of what they do. Randy, you know, this was just such a gift for him to get the history. And for me, it was such a gift to have my camera available. And, um, you know, and so we all exchanged, you know, emails and we, you know, I, I, they started getting dressed for the parade. Everything happened very quickly. I was there with my camera. All of a sudden I found myself physically in the circle on the ground, photographing them, thinking how on earth did I get here? You know, I'm a stranger and nobody ever treated me that way. And, um, you know, for the next year, you know, we kind of spent emailing and just developing a quiet, slow relationship. And so I went, you know, I went down, as you know, in January to start photographing them sewing, you know, for the next year. And my intention was to be there for Mardi Gras, not Mardi Gras, I couldn't go for Mardi Gras, but for um, St. Joseph's and for um, Super Sunday. You know, so I went down in January thinking, let's just get in a room together, see how it goes, you know, see if you like me, um, you know, see if you're comfortable with me being around, let me show you what I do and, you know, we'll hopefully work together. And then, you know, we all, we had plans, you know, we liked each other and we had plans and then bam, COVID happened and everything shut down. And, um, and, and so... Mm -hmm. I checked in, you know, I wanted to, to, to check in and know I made this relationship with these guys, you know, and, and, you know, one of them was sort of vulnerable enough to say, you know, I, I might need a little help. And I thought I can only help so much on my end. I'm in the same boat, a different boat, but not so dissimilar, you know, and Randy came up with the idea that if, you know, if they were up for it, maybe we could do the GoFundMe. And the GoFundMe has really opened the relationship in such a way because we do these kind of things like you and I are doing. You know, we've done recordings and we talk to each other and things that I never would have anticipated doing, you know, this soon. Um 
So tell me this, what part of the Mardi Gras Indians that draws you to it? You know, juke joint. I love the blues. I love things that if you don't protect them, they won't go away. And I don't want them to go away. You know, I mean, there's like certain things like once it's gone, it's gone. And um, it ain't there no more. Yeah, exactly. And I love this about the Indian culture because they know that they know that if it goes, it's gone. And so they do so much in their power to protect it, to make sure young people get involved, um, you know, to really maintain a community that involves everybody in the community. And, you know, so when I went to, to, to see, you know, super, super Sunday, I thought I'm going to have my camera. The best thing that could happen to me is if I could connect with one person that might let me spend a little extra time with them and maybe we exchange some emails and, you know, I could build a relationship because I would love to have the intimacy to look at this over years. I mean, like a decade kind of thing. Um, I I didn't want any immediacy. You you know, you go see the Indians and it's immediate. I mean, anybody can get in there with their camera and get something fabulous. I mean, they're they're That's what they are. It's a spectacle. They're fabulous. That's what the goal is, is to be the prettiest. So, you know, if you had a camera and you know how to click and you go to Super Sunday, you're going to get something nice, you know. But I, I wanted something deeper or the hope for that. But I really didn't expect what happened. And um, and the very first people that Randy and Frankie and I met were the Ninth Ward Black Hatchets. And, you know, they were just kind of arriving to, you know, what would then be the parade. And they had set up behind the high school, you know, that's, that's, you know, right there in that square. And they had all their co- suits, excuse me, suits laid out, um, you know, because they knew that people would want to walk by and see them. And so we were kind of the first people to get there. You know, we wanted to get there early and walk around and see things. And big chief Dewey was the first person that spoke to us, but he was so unassuming Arthur and young, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have put him necessarily in that role um, because of how welcoming and gracious and calm, you know, you think this is a big day. You got a lot going on. You got to get dressed. You got to do your thing. And here's somebody that says, you know, you know, hang out, but what do you want to do with the pictures? Valid question, you know, because people take a lot of pictures of the Indians and then they don't give back anything to right. them. People make money off of this. And, you know, and not everybody makes money, but, you know, you see a billboard of, you know, this, this, you know, Mardi Gras Indians face in New Orleans. Well, the photographer got paid for that. The Indian didn't get paid for exactly. that. He might not even get asked, you know? And so there's not a lot of protection for the, the art that they're making. And, um, you know, so my agreement was, I, I don't even know, actually, but whatever I have, you know, if you want to exchange emails, you can have whatever you want and you use them for whatever you want, if you even like them or think they're good. And I think that that sort of 
initiated a trust is that I, I, I didn't have an attachment, you know, to what I was doing there. And so we sort of, you know, floated around, came back several times and realized that we were all very comfortable right where we were hanging out with the ninth ward black hatchets and that they had welcomed us to hang out and shared our, their food and shared stories. And Randy as a historian it was so exciting for him because he knew so much more history than I do. I have a terrible memory. And I'm so glad that you saw this and you appreciate it because these guys work on this all year long. It's a full-time dedication. And they work on it all the time. Costuming and all yeah. the time, every single day. And, you know, and they put their own money into it. I mean, there's no assistance for this. There's grants. I mean, but writing a grant is a full-time yeah. job. Writing a grant is like five hours that you could be sewing. Um, you know, so it, I don't know. I've never seen anything like it. I don't think I ever will. Um, and it's so, it's, it's so pure because the way that they make art and the way that they create community and the way that they respect their culture and they keep it going is this consistency that you just don't see these days and dedication. Um, and when you talk to these guys, um, and I say guys because my guys, you know, that I talk to are, are men mostly, but there are women, you know, and children involved in this culture but they use the word culture, 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 culture. And I love that. You know, I love that this is a culture worth respecting and worth preserving. Yeah. And it's a part of, of the tapestry of New Orleans. Absolutely. And it's part of history. I mean, it's, it's an incredible history of, you know, how it came to be and, you know, how it goes back to slaves and how it goes to Native Americans. And, you know, that you have guys that really could be interested in something else. I mean, it's modern life. There's a million things to get into. But that still respect this. It's going on for, you know, more than 100 years. And how much we get to enjoy it by looking at it and participating in it and Super Sunday and Mardi Gras. And and that's a gift that they give to you. It's a gift that they pay for themselves and they labor for, for themselves. And then they just give it. Beautiful world we live we in. We do huh? live in a beautiful world. And you know, the great thing about doing this is like you discover things about people you didn't even know, like the interview stuff. Now I'm going to go try to get some interview magazines. Look up my friend Chris. Oh, you yeah. know. Wow. My first cover was interview magazine. My first magazine cover was uh, Jeremy Davies, the actor for Interview Magazine. And it wasn't even a picture that I that they commissioned me. It was one that I had shot probably two years before, you know, but it was just a great portrait. And he, you know, was having a moment. And they said, let's put him on it. But we didn't know how to credit the fashion. And I had put him in a vintage Levi shirt that I that I had in my closet, you know, because we were just making pictures, you know. And so when we did the credits, it was a cover story. So they were trying to make credits for it. So they credited Levi's and Levi's got 
really mad. Oh no. Because it wasn't something that they had current. Oh no. You know, and at the, <laughs> and at the time, at the time you didn't really credit Levi, you know, you didn't credit vintage things. Like people didn't, you know, it was rare. They had to, they were, you know, they had to appeal to advertisers, you know, so they might say, you know, actor's own shirt, but you couldn't do that on the cover. You had to credit something. One time I photographed one of my friends naked and they ran it in interview magazine as an ad for perfume. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> you can only smell it. Yeah, exactly. And there's something in new Orleans that just has an energy that I just connect with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see that, you know, I, and I can see that, you know, in your work and the way that you create, I have to say, I have been enjoying, um, the fact that, you know, Reva's had to be online, but I love these, these screenshots and selfies kind of a Reva going, like it's moving to me. I love it. You wouldn't have done that so much. There's something in me that probably wants to take out the real camera and start doing it rather than I a screenshot. Yeah. I think I'm about to. I think that you absolutely should. Yeah. I, I don't know if I told you this, but you know, and I think a lot of people did this in, you know, in similar ways, but I did this self portrait series kind of during COVID. My, the, the man that I see has a really beautiful, farm like land you know close by and i did these self-portraits in the woods kind of with all these costumes that i've been collecting for years and years and years you know because that's the other thing it's like like reba i collect the glitter and the sparkles and the headdresses that's my new orleans you know and um but i wanted it to be very faceless and you know spaced out so it was kind of nice, but I did them on my cell phone because it was, you know, the way I could sort of set up the tripod. And now I wish I had done them on a real camera. Um, but there was something to it. I feel like you, I, I would love to see photographs of Reba. Well, it's just setting the timer or getting the, the phone app to set up. Oh, oh, I'll send you this app. I have, I have a thing that you can, um, you can like remote control it. Maybe we could do a show. That could be our thing on this internet, on this website. We, we really could do something we should do. And maybe we actually should do it just cell phone, you know, and keep it like super lo-fi and, and kind of use, you know, this, like use what you have at hand and keep it lo-fi and do a show that is these sort of self portrait expressions of what we did in COVID. <laughs> Well, it's going to be, it's so weird because it's like either I'm going to get a doll and a teddy bear or start doing self-portraits. Thank you for joining me for today's edition of the Opal Art Gather Morning Call Podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Reba Douglas. The Opal Art Gather website is a collaborative artist community started by Constance Lewis and myself. The Opal Art Gather Gallery is the current and the future way to feature artists' work. Please note that our artists depend on their work to make a living. So feel free to use the Patreon button to sponsor an artist. Or if you believe in what we're doing as a community here, feel free to contribute to the upkeep of the website. Feel free to send us a message and tell us what you think. And don't forget to like and subscribe. Yours truly, Arthur and Connie.